Hello and welcome back to Pastacast, the advice and discussion show for members of the National Student Television Association. My guest for this double-sized edition is Matt Capon, previously a vast Capone about the state of student TV today and where NASTA is as an organisation in 2016. This time we'll be discussing advice for stations, working with other media outlets and indeed discussing PASTA, the alumni group itself. We begin with a look towards the weeks and months ahead. Okay, so NASTA quite often can be seen as the end and the beginning of the student TV to-do list, I suppose you could say. So for not just station managers coming in just now, but really anybody who's assuming a particular position in their station coming up for the year ahead, what's your initial advice to them in terms of how they stay focused and organized? Have a plan, first of all. Have a plan. Have a plan with what you want to achieve during the course of the year. Have aims, have ambitions, and challenge yourself a bit in those aims and ambitions. Push yourself creatively, push yourself creatively, and try to make the most of your, try to make the most of your time. Use the right language. Language is important. Language is important. It's easy to confuse language with needless terminology, but that's not the case because it's important to really use the right language with how you convey, how you talk to people, how you interact with your team, and how you facilitate the production of content. Because ultimately, if you've been elected or appointed as be at the head of a station, or if you're working in marketing, or if you're working in the finance element, or, or even the social secretary side of things, which is just as important as any of the other roles, use the right language. Use the right language to identify not just who you are and what you're doing, but what everyone else is doing, because that will make, make all the difference. That will make all the difference. How do you avoid the... It is it's a fairly common trap when you get your new position you've already been thinking presumably for the weeks and months ahead of time you've already been thinking about what you're going to do when you're in that position so how do you avoid the trap of trying to take on too much in one go you know you might have like i don't want to do this one do that one do this one do that so on so on so on so on and you might be actually communicating that to everybody you might be constantly posting new ideas on Facebook every 10 minutes and what have you. How do you get a grip on that and actually think, okay, what can I legitimately achieve in the time that I've got to, to do what I want to do? Well, it's about understanding how to make a plan and looking at realistic aims and expectations for what you can achieve. And to also understand that everyone's going to have a life outside of your student TV office outside of that base and there'll be other things that people need to do there will be jobs that they will need to do because the bills have got to be paid people have got studying to do you're at uni to study for a degree after all apparently you've got to be measured with your expectations of your team because they will have a life just as you should have a life doesn't mean that you're gonna live day to day in the office we've all been guilty of it me much more so than many so yeah, it's about real. It's about realism. Be excited, be challenged, but don't push yourself to the point where you're going to start alienating more people than you attract and engage. Now that leads nicely on to, as you say, attracting engagement with people. It's perennial issue. You get a lot of interest in Freshers Week. But then those same people who have expressed interest in your stall and your station, they're looking at everybody else's stall at the Freshers' Fair and so on. So you're going to get more people in week one than you're going to get in week two, for example. That that's that goes without saying. But how do you retain as many people as possible from week one to week two, from week two to week three and so on? What, what, what do you find are the best ways of giving everybody something to do because everybody wants to take part and when they join a new society and at the same time you've got to then balance the expectations of the people who are already there and you want to produce a certain amount of output and so on so on so it's a lot of juggling but how do you best get new people on board in such a way that you don't alienate the existing members and also that you're not putting people off by constantly throwing too much information at them yes it's 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 not juggling gary it's plate spinning you are plate spinning that is the art 
of running a student television station defined in its most simplest term. You are a professional plate spinner. You've really got to try to engage people in a way that anyone can get involved with. So I've tried many different ideas down the line from doing live screen tests where you literally stick a sign on the door, you have a camera in the room and you invite anyone to perform in front of camera with a view to being on screen talent. It is almost like a bit of a ad hoc speed dating event for student TV. You look at the social element of things because the social side of student TV is one of the most important parts of it. And you've got to really ensure that that social element is really strong, that it's really, really strong, that it's red hot, because that's going to keep people coming to you if the social attraction is there, if it's high. The content that you make has got to really be involved. It has to involve people. Invite people to submit content ideas, do live elevator pitches, get people to do pitching on on YouTube, on Facebook. There are really no boundaries to what you can try. We'll obviously say there are no boundaries within legality. Obviously, you have to keep within the law. But just try anything to get people to feel involved. People need to feel involved. And if they can feel that they're involved and more importantly and crucially listened to, they will come back. You're going to get drop-offs. You will accept it. That's why you've got to really focus on the activities that are going to draw people back to you week two, week three, week four, week five, and so on. And get them used to certain ways of thinking and ways of doing. It's the one that everyone tries and has their own spin on, but there's no better time to practice a golden bodge than during freshers. If you hear that from a lot of people, don't you? Golden bodge is a really, really good way of getting people involved. And it's and... Funny. It's funny because the golden bodge is sometimes derided by the by the host, but it's actually been the one thing that Master refuses to let go of. <laughs> Here's something which perhaps doesn't get as much attention as it should, and sometimes it may only get attention retrospectively when you're looking back on your year or your three years or whatever it may be. Let's look at two different models for a station. One station has quotas for its programming. So it's going to do a little bit of everything. It's going to have a news program. It's going to have a sport program. There must be a drama that's made. It's going to try and do stand-up comedy, whatever it may be. <laughs> and on one hand, this means that it's got plenty of output. And it means everybody's busily involved in, in, in doing stuff and whatever it may be. On the other hand, it can perhaps lead to a little bit of a sort of production line feel sometimes and maybe if you've had essays or whatever it is that particular week you're not entirely invested in doing the news program and you may just sort of end up you know going through the motions for the five or ten minutes or 15 minutes as long as it takes on the other hand station number two station number two doesn't have any quotas it just says to everybody right come on everybody what ideas have you got at the start of the year and then they just go about making those shows that have come about from those discussions. On the one hand, it's a good way of doing things. It means that people are always engaged in what they're doing. They're not doing anything that they don't really feel invested in. Uh, at the same time, can that lead to perhaps a situation where you're not producing really enough content to keep everybody busy? Perhaps the SU's got one eye on you as well and says you know the local radio station there they're doing stuff you know 12 hours a day the newspapers coming out every week but we haven't seen any new stuff from yourselves and so on and so on what's your view on that should you have quotas as a station if you don't have quotas then how do you make sure that you're still producing output regularly first of all if a student union ever stuck their nose in and was to say well the radio station's performing better or the or the newspaper is much more relevant tell them to go and whistle because unless the student union has taken an active role in understanding why you operate how you operate and the means that you have to produce content a union should never look to create a competitive edge between you a newspaper and a radio station. That's grossly unfair. 
That is grossly unfair, and that situation should never come about. Now, should there be quotas in terms of the content that you're turning over, almost creating a sort of de facto schedule per term? I think it's important to take the middle ground approach on this between the two models that you've discussed. I think you have to look at your tentpole model. There has to be tentpole content that is all hands on deck, that requires everyone to get involved, everyone to be a part, and everyone to feel that they are contributing and being a part. So be it your elections, be it freshers, be it varsity, be it sports matches, be it graduation events, whatever. You will know there will be those big bandstand events that you need people to be supporting you with, to be a part of and to contribute towards. But between those events will be downtime. There will be downtime and opportunities for people to create their own content. And I think eventually you move towards a point where you find your bread and butter. I've said it before to stations, and it's something I still believe in to this day. You should have content that you can always fall back on that can be produced with the minimal number of committee members. So say you have a bad year. Say you have five active committee members and they're your only members for the first couple of months. You need to be able to have content that those five people can be a part of and make, and then your station is always visible. Even when it's low on numbers, it's still making content, and you can only look up, and you can only build up. So always have a bread and butter fallback, something that you can always do, be it filming a night out in your union, be it filming a news package, whatever. Find something that you can put a stamp on and make your own that can always be made, that you can always fall back on. Once you've got that in place, that keystone is there, you can build around it. You can look at development of news shows. You can look at development of dramas. You can look at development of comedy. But you've always got to remember that there are certain bits of content that are a luxury. They're a bonus. They may become a staple over time where it is striking a chord with your audience and it's getting members in and it's attracting interest, in which case they transition and they become something you look to revisit. So give yourself that flexibility, that opportunity to try new things, but always have one eye on the consistency, the ever-present content that you can always turn to, that equally you can always give new people an opportunity to contribute to, to be a part of, to produce, because that baseline content is where your new members cut their teeth. It's where they learn the skills. It's where they learn how to vision mix. It's where they learn how to work sound, how to work lighting, how to film, how to edit, how to turn it over in good time, how to encode produce for YouTube, produce for Facebook, etc. Where do you stand on post-production in terms of the argument you should be getting this right first time if it's something that you're doing in a studio where you've got a full-on you know, gallery and director and so on and so on versus that's what post-production's for. It's there to tidy bits and pieces up. It's a staple in television in broadcast television, so why shouldn't you use it if you've got those facilities? You don't look to do any gardening with a scalpel, just as you wouldn't look to perform keyhole surgery with a spade. Everything has its purpose. Post-production, development, implementation and integration of motion graphics has its purpose in making a good bit of content, an amazing bit of content. So give content energy where perhaps it was lacking. It's a case of awareness. It's a case of appreciating production context. You're going to add lower thirds to something that requires lower thirds. You're not going to drop lower thirds into a video that has no reason to have them in there in post. Equally, some things will need to be colour corrected if perhaps you've got white balance off or whatever. But if you're in the middle of a studio and you're looking at getting something done right first time, etc., 
that's really down to the management of that production because everyone's got to be on their game, particularly if it's live. But still, there's flexibility. You have to be flexible. If you're rigid, you are never going to achieve what you really want to set out to do, are you? As far as news and current affairs are concerned, where do you stand on the issue of impartiality? Because this is something that could vary from not just station to station, but from news editor to news editor. Uh, when, when I was when I was news editing for Gust, I, I liked the idea of impartiality. I liked to sort of model it on broadcast TV news and make sure that you know everybody's opinion is given equal time, and the presenter doesn't take an editorializing point of view, and so on and so on. People might have a different point of view. You know, student television is not regulated in the same way as regular broadcast TV is by Ofcom, so it doesn't have to play by the same rules. And of course, if you just then upload a vlog on YouTube, as, as anybody can these days, nobody's going to tell you. No, you can't say that. You can't say this, and so on, and so on. So, I mean, what's your what's your opinion about that? That noise you can hear in the background is of me with my axe to grind on this. Student media, not just student TV really should be able to, in terms of best practice, or in terms of balance, in terms of fact-checking, in terms of conscientious reporting, should feel able to and empowered to be able to report on something that they see as being newsworthy, observing the legalities of reporting on the news, so ensuring that something doesn't creep into defamation, something isn't libelous, but if there is something that is newsworthy, they should be able to report on it. And far too many higher education institutions within which student television stations, radio stations and papers exist, on one hand, feed lip service to student media to say that they feel that student media should feel able to hold them to account through their news content but on the flip side, will practically smother and suffocate news stories that they find to be inconvenient, that they find to be misplaced, or even worse, that they find to really diminish their own communications and marketing agenda because they don't like the idea that students are reporting on a truth that they would rather didn't exist. I think it's important it's valuable, and above all else, it is central to the experience of student media that news can be put together, reported, promoted, that institutions really should cooperate with in terms of what is trying to be achieved. And I've always, always advocated this professionally. I have always said student media should be observed as being a public service broadcaster with how it operates within the idea as of a news gathering entity. If news is being reported, it needs to be recognised and importantly respected. And I don't think currently student news is given the due respect it deserves. I want to talk a little bit about student unions and how you work with the student union and so on. Now, we mentioned before about the student union might be drawing comparisons with yourself and the other student media. You're quite clear that if, if that kind of thing happens that you just want to tell them to, to you know, get out of your face. That's not an issue for them. Unfortunately, we know that student unions and, and just higher education in general these days, money is an issue for them. They're counting every single penny. And the idea that you give like a specific block grant to a society and then just leave them alone and get on with it. Unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the the current way. Instead, you're likely to have somebody sort of, not breathing down your neck, but you're likely to have, you know, a media officer, whoever it is, saying, you know, how's it going? Are you, are you, are you close to getting some material on the screen? How often are you going to get material on the screen? So on, so on. So how do you best manage your relationship with, the student union because of course you've got that awkward situation where quite often that's where you're going to get your income from the first thing you've got to do is go and talk to the full-time staff not the sabbatical officers not the student officers the full-time staff talk to the full-time staff who will be there 
after the term of office of the SABs has run its course. Talk to the full-time staff, talk to the support staff, the administrative staff, and understand them. They're human beings at the end of the day. Sometimes that's harder to believe than others, but they're human beings at the end of the day. They are there working in a student union because, on the whole, they love what they do. They love working around a union. And they want to help, more or less. And you've got to build a relationship up with them. And at least try. At least try to understand them. Try to get to know them. Try to understand the rules within which they work that relate to the rules within which you work. There will be a correlation there. And understand that. Sometimes those relationships will be easier to build than others, but it's worthwhile pursuing nevertheless. After you've done that, dig out, find, however you can, the strategic plan of the student union. This is really important because the strategic plan will give you an insight into the student union or the guild or whatever it wants to call itself. It will give you an insight into both the language that they use to frame their own activity, how they define themselves, but it will also outline the strategic objectives and direction of the student union. And when you break it down, when you shift past the diagrams and the infographics, and you actually see the core objectives for that strategic period, you're going to understand much better where you sit as a student television station, what you can do to complement the strategic objectives of the student union and how you've got common ground with them and you will have common ground you will and this should really inform your own language it should inform your own objectives and it should give you a greater insight about the wider sphere of activity that you are a part of look at the strategic plan and really really break it down and understand it then look at the mandates that the sabbatical officers were elected on and look at how you can support them look at where they need your help look at where you can benefit each other the sabs will be in a fixed period either for 12 months or for two years you can do a lot to help them you can do a lot to help them achieve their goals achieve their ambitions and don't be afraid to help them so always ensure that you've got at least some sort of understanding about what the SABs are trying to do, both individually as well as collectively. And that will be somewhat reflected by the strategic plan itself. With these in place, you're really going to be much more informed about certain operational objectives about the student union. So then start looking at the service elements. So find your bars manager, find your entertainments manager and understand how maybe they can support you and you can support them. Don't give yourself over to the union. You are a student television station first and foremost. You are not an annex of the marketing department. You are not. But what you are is a student group that is able to produce content that your student union might not otherwise be able to do under their own steam. Always remember that. So when you start talking to the more service-focused members of staff within the student union, you should then be able to come away and understand that maybe you know how you can operate, you know where you can work, what you can do, and build relationships that can really benefit you, but perhaps if you do it right and you play it well, can benefit your successors. And you can start getting people to respect what you do. It's easy when you work in a student union to look at students as just being a transitory concern. They're not. They're the defining point of a student union. And if you're lucky, and if you do it right, you can come away with staff members' respect. And if you've done that, then that's half the that's half the job done. That's a really good point you made there about producing material that the SU wouldn't be able to themselves. This is something which we've both seen quite a bit over you know, the years. Student unions suddenly deciding we're going to have a little news program of our own on YouTube and they go off and make it themselves. Now if you happen to be in a station where your SU is doing that, how best do you politely knock on the door of the SU and say, 
excuse me, SU, just to remind you that we are here, and you've got this program that you're trying to make yourselves, which the best will in the world doesn't look very good, and, you know, we could be doing that a damn sight better. I know of a chief executive of a student union that uses the comparison between the BBC and ITV in that regard. They say that the BBC operates and works in very different ways to ITV. So by facilitating their own content, they're simply trying to create another broadcaster. That's a misrepresentation of the truth. What is often the case, and it isn't done so through dubious means, not at all, but what is often the case is that content is pursued because a student union wants to ensure that it has control over the content and agenda of the content that is being put out. It doesn't have a great deal of control with student media, not really, in terms of the substantial content decisions that are made. So by releasing its own content, it is controlling the conception of ideas of the source, rather than reacting to the ideas that have been broadcast. To be reactive in that regard is it's an understandable concern for an organisation, any organisation, not just a student union. So what I would say to a station that ever encounters that is to, first of all, look at how the student union recognises your own existence. Explore how your existence is entrenched into the day-to-day of your union. Do you have a service level agreement between your student union and yourselves? Do you have a charter that lays out your existence and your relationship with different bodies within the student union that lays out accountabilities? If you've got this behind you and the student union has, has pursued this content, I would say it isn't cause to pursue conflict, but it is certainly cause for you to take stock why have they done this? That's the first question you have to ask. The second question is, could you do it better? And the third question is, why are you asking yourself those two questions? Go and do it better. Because often, when a student union is going to pursue those sorts of ideas, they do so for what they see as being the best possible reasons. But you're in the best possible position to take their idea and do it yourself and do it better. It's a jostling for creative control to a certain extent, but I would view it as being something that could be fun to look at rather than something that could have a needlessly competitive and conflicting edge to it. How important do you think it is for a single station, not working in collaboration with all stations and not through NASA, but a single station to have maybe one big event per year? Is that something that you think can be harnessed in a good way to get people's enthusiasm. Maybe, for example, you're providing coverage of your SU's, you know, Christmas do, whatever it may be, something like that, where there's going to be a big event, there's going to be a lot of people there. might not be an event that you're staging yourself, but it's something that you can still get involved in and provide coverage of. Can that be useful? Can that sometimes lead to a situation where you sort of peak and then it's difficult to get everybody, you know, interested again? No, I think that situation can be really beneficial, can be really useful. It's free publicity. You have a crew covering an event. you got your branding on the back of your shirt, on your camera, on the front of your shirt, for that matter. That's free publicity. That's eyes on your logo. That's eyes on your brand. Can't put a value on that. So you've really, yeah, I think it's important. You have to have points across the course of the year where your station can really just thrive in that sort of environment. So yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely important to really find those events that you can feel that you're a part of. Yes, for every big event, for any summer ball that I filmed, and I have filmed a lot of them, you will always have that couple of days after, particularly when the summer ball will come in, um, a week or two before the end of term, there'll be a couple of days of unbearable quiet. Embrace it. Embrace the quiet. Don't be afraid of it. You've had a really good time at a really big event where you've made your mark. The downtime is unavoidable. 
but it doesn't mark the end. It just marks a break. And I suppose on the flip side, as far as peaks and troughs of the year are concerned, how do you avoid, if you're a station manager or if you're head of programmes, whatever it may be, maybe head of publicity, something like that, how do you avoid basically burning yourself out during Freshers' Week? Because you can. <laughs> I've done it myself. <laughs> I know you've done it. So, yeah, how do you avoid just becoming a complete and utter zombie at the end of that week and then having that impact on week one, week two of the calendar and then actually having you know a significant impact on the first term? If you and your team end up walking around your union after freshers looking like a bunch of walkers out of The Walking Dead, you've done it wrong. You've got to be measured. You're never going to film everything. You are never going to cover everything. Always have that in the back of your mind. Anything you cover outside of your core events is always a bonus. Never be afraid to say no. There will always be people that will want you to film it and you should have been filming it an hour ago. There is value in saying no. There are lessons to be learned in saying no. Never forget that. Look at the events that you can take the most out of. What events can you film that will get the most amount of eyes on your content? Be selfish about it. There will be some content that the BBC will show that will make it into prime time on BBC One. But there'll be some content that the BBC will film that they will sideline and put on the graveyard slot on BBC Two. You're going to know what's going to work. You're going to know what's going to be of benefit. Think about this over the summer. Look at the itinerary that comes together with freshers. Pinpoint what's going to make the most difference for you. Focus on that. Anything else that appears between the cracks, if you're able to do it, go and film it. If it's not going to add value, if it's not going to benefit you, take that day as rest. You always need to put aside time in freshers for you. You have to. And it's a big, big testing ground for how your team comes together and supports each other. So... It's a bit of a leap of faith for many because it's a bit of an unknown quantity when your team's only really been talking about freshers over term two and then a bit over the summer before you go home. So be confident, be assured that you know what you're doing and just remember no means no. Okay, so we're on the pasta cast. So let's talk a little bit about pasta. First of all, how do you see pasta as an entity these days? I mean, pasta is like NASA is itself. It's an informal group. But is pasta as active as it could be? If not, what does pasta need to do in order to keep itself buoyant. I'm going to ask the same question as I asked right at the outset about what the purpose of NASTA was. What's the purpose of PASTA, as you see it? PASTA. <laughs> it emerged out of an in-joke on the old NASTA forum, and it stuck, and it never went away. And as it went on, and as it developed, the team that put together the idea for the alumni officer really did a great job in putting that idea together because it had never been addressed before. It just hadn't been a part of the makeup of NASTA, the recognition, the formal recognition, that the alumni deserves representation. However, what that team sadly really didn't realise, and it's not a fault of theirs because it's a complicated issue that was perhaps above their means at the time, is that that role needed a lot more scope and a lot more depth to it. Because one officer, which was me on both occasions, couldn't assemble that organisation on their own. It was a slow burn. It is a slow burn. The way that NASTA has developed with the exec and its relationship with the host, the alumni already sits alongside that but isn't a part of it. The concerns of the exec are with 
the members, the concerns and the ability and the competency of the exec to support the alumni, they're increasingly less compatible year on year. And that's no slight to any member of the exec, past or present. But the needs and wants of the alumni need to be separate from the ability of NASTA to be student political. The alumni should not be a political body in any way, shape or form. It's a supportive body. It's a group of alumni who have been through the process, who understand the process and want to support the process of student television. And where it sits at the moment, it's in that transitional state. It's looking to develop, but it's looking to, to develop within its own means rather than within the means of NASTA as an association. How best should PASTA members keep the conversation going? Do you think that something like LinkedIn is a better forum than Facebook for PASTA members? Um, no, because you have to look at the different elements to the communications mix that are available. LinkedIn is an element, not just for PASTA, but also for NASTA, where some very innovative ideas could be implemented in terms of recommendations to former hosts, to exec members. There are things that could be done that haven't been tried before to use LinkedIn in a very forward-thinking way, to recognise achievements in a very forward-thinking way. That is something which should be explored. It should be explored. But people engage and still talk on Facebook. It's all about really pulling together these different communications channels, giving each value, but integrating them into the other. So you don't simply see, as happens in so many different areas, a simple copy and paste duplication of a message on Twitter that appears on Facebook and so on. That's lazy. That has no value. But you have to give people, you have to give alumni, just as you have to give students, a reason to look at Twitter that offers value that doesn't diminish or affect the value of those, those same people, those same students looking at Facebook. But it is the tone and it's the subject matter that is different. For the alumni, it is one of both engagement, it is one of both social interaction, and it is also both one of principle. We are alumni, we've been there, we've done it, our wishes to be engaged on that day-to-day -day level have long since gone. But at the same time, we care. That's the really important thing that carries on from NASTA. Alumni do care about what goes on. And there will always be an answer to a question within NASTA that one of the alumni has dealt with. That will always be the case. And people should feel free and able to ask. And I think that's where the comms mix comes into its own, where the channels, that transition between NASTA and the alumni should perhaps be a little bit more a little bit more refined. The the retirement home, the Facebook group, really served served its purpose to bring people together. But that is the first brick in the construction that needs to take place. And it should be built on. It should be built on and it and it should be developed. So anything the pasta isn't currently doing that perhaps it's done in the past or has never done at all that you would really like to see pasta doing? There were so many different ideas that I'd had when I was sitting as alumni officer, but the there was so much to be done to ensure that the idea just didn't fade away. The social side of things can be reinforced, but one that isn't London-centric, and that concerned me a lot over my year and a bit in the post, is that elements and activity really shouldn't happen solely in London. I have said it before, and it wasn't really listened to, that there should be an overlap between the activity of the regional officers and the alumni to draw in alumni activity within regions. There's an overlap there which gives the purpose of regions heightened relevance. And I think that is something which needs to be explored in order to give a more representative feel to the activity of um, the alumni moving forward. 
I also think that within the scope of regional conferences, that the conferences themselves, as standalone events, hold some value. But as events that work together to build up and complement the national conference, don't really serve a purpose. And I've always believed that each event should have a focal point, a subject matter that is related to national conference. So be that one regional conference rather would focus on award categories with input from the host. Another one would look at judges and a, a conversation to be had at the regional conference about judging. And one conference should look at the alumni. It should be an introduction, a jumping on point to the alumni, and one which the alumni can really help and assist with. So that's something I'd like to see. But it's one of those where I think it's time for the alumni to be allowed to take the stabilizers off of the bike. And what form does that best take? Is that something where do you need to have like a like an online general meeting of PASTA? Does it need to be something that happens in conjunction with the AGM at the conference each year? I mean, what, what what's the best method for this to to happen for it to evolve? Well, the the steering group currently are doing an amazing job to really put together the proposal to take to the AGM to begin this process. And my to give it a very simplistic view, I think it what needs to happen is you need to break it down and build it up again. I think the initial proposal that was put to the AGM that introduced the alumni officer role was both positive, it was forward thinking, but it was flawed because it didn't give due thought to the implications of that role and the development of the alumni. And in some ways, bottlenecked the work that that role would have to undertake because it's not just a case of day-to-day work that that role would do, and that's a voluntary role as with any other role within NASTA, but also a certain monetary implications there in terms of the hiring of venues, and so on. When you're looking at events, you can't get everything for free. You just can't. So, yeah, I think the, I know that the steering group are putting together a proposal for the AGM to state the case. And the case is a valid one. It's a solid one. I know that there is perhaps a belief that the alumni is best served working as a part of NASTA. It will always be a part of NASTA. It is forever associated with NASTA, but as its own entity, as its own body, it needs to take a step apart from NASTA and stand beside it, alongside it, and not stand behind it. And I think now's the time. And how best then can people get involved in this process right now i mean this is something like you say this will be up for discussion at the agm which is part of nasta the first weekend of april but presumably before then people can express their views i mean what what's the best method do you think do you think this is something that should be a public debate across facebook across linkedin is it better that people you know message the steering group with like a sort of lengthy response what do you think is best I think people, first of all, need to feed into the process with the steering group because it's a bit hackneyed to say it, but the final act that you will undertake as being a part of NASTA will be to become a member of the alumni. You can't avoid it. You can choose to recognize yourself as an alumni or not, (laughs) but talk to the steering group. Talk to the steering group and really try to understand what the steering group are doing. Understanding is something that is perhaps a bit of a forgotten commodity within student media generally at the moment. Understand what they're doing and understand what they're trying to achieve. Understand why the system has perhaps not worked as well as it could before. It's reached this point. Look at any alternatives that there might be to what the steering group are proposing. And 
contribute. The strength of the alumni comes down to the contributions that each and every one makes towards things. Contribute. That is the most and greatest thing you can do. And if you are, perhaps you're a relatively new member of PASTA, perhaps you've been in PASTA for a few years, whatever it may be, and you've never heard of the steering group, you don't know anything about this, and how do people get in touch with the steering group? The email for the steering group is pasta-steering at nasta.tv. Okay, so to wrap up then, first of all, I want you to put your Agony Ant hat on. I don't know if Agony Ants normally have hats, but you've got one. People who are about to assume a role within a NASTA-affiliated station, station manager, head of programs, head of news, whatever it's going to be, what's your one golden piece of advice for the year ahead? You are about to embark on one of the most painful, agonizing, and downright ridiculous ventures you are ever going to undertake in your life. And it will be amazing. You are going to laugh so hard. You're going to cry moments when you're on your own and you're feeling like a horrific cliche. But what you have to do above all else is always remind yourself, why are you doing this? Too many people and I've known many to undertake the roles, too many people lose sight of the reason why they say, yes, I want to do this. Always, always revisit the reason why you're doing it. Revisit the reason why you thought it was fun. Revisit the reason why you thought it was worthwhile, why it had meaning. Never lose sight of it, and try never to lose sight of it. Find counsel in people who can be there to listen to you, to rant, to scream, to get drunk with, to binge eat with, and just always touch base with the reason that got you involved to begin with, because that reason is the reason that will carry you through to the end of the year and will be the reason that will bring you to NASTA when you sit up and you look at the opening montage of the awards you see your station name, you hear it read out, and you see your content, that's the payoff. Focus on the payoff. You're doing it for a reason, never lose sight of it. And you mentioned NASTA as well. NASTA weekend is coming up. If people have got an idea of perhaps running for the exec, what's your advice to themselves? What do you think that they should be considering just now? What do you think they should be putting in the manifesto, for example? How best to present themselves? To be a part of the master of the Zek is an immense privilege, but it is a role that is deceptive because it's very easy to make the leap that to be on the master of the Zek is a similar function to being the head of a station, to being a station manager, a station director, whatever. It's not. You are working to enhance, to strengthen, and to promote the voice of NASTA. So you've really got to look at where NASTA has been, the journey it has taken, because your real underlying role as a member of the NASTA exec is that you are writing that chapter of the story, and the story has been going on a long while before you, and it will go on a long while after you. So... Challenge yourself, challenge the association, look at innovation, look at ideas, but don't try too hard to reinvent the wheel. There is a lot of information and there's a lot of history behind NASTA and there are a lot of things that some previous execs, either through their own choice or through circumstances which they had no impact on, haven't really understood the nature of the association that they've become a part of, and that impacts negatively on their year. So do your research. Do your research and understand. And talk to the current exec members. If they're not, even if they're rerunning, actually, talk to them. Because the last thing you need to do is to fly blind into a role that you're going to be responsible for, where you're going to be a representative 
for a national organization. That's a huge responsibility. So don't be naive. You may think you are the most competent and the most amazing station manager, and you probably are. But on a national scheme, you've got to raise your game. So above all else, be humble. If you can't be humble, you shouldn't be running to be on the master exec. And away from the exec, what's your motto, would you say, for anybody attending NASTA to get the best out of it? Red wine! <laughs> Please drink responsibly. That was a historic reference. Please ask anyone from a certain period of time to understand what red wine means. When you go to NASTA, that's the point where it all makes sense. That is the point where you realise, you understand, there are people just like you who have gone through the problems you have gone through. They have sat through the edit for just as many hours as you. They have complained about the way the DSLR reacts to low light levels, how things aren't in focus in the edit. You're part of a national community, a community with such incredible hearts, with such incredible passion and creativity, you realise your place on the national canvas. And you are surrounded by people, some people who you will meet who will be friends for life. They will make you laugh. They will make you cry. It will be an incredible weekend. And your first NASTA is always the master that you will judge every subsequent student television awards ceremony from. And if it's your first event that you're going into, I envy you because that feeling of walking into the awards ceremony for the first time, nothing can match it. Nothing can match it. And it is electric in that hall. Enjoy it. Savour it. Really lap it up because... It'll make it all worthwhile. If somebody is going to NASTA, are they going to see you there? This year, I will be attending as a judge for the first time in my career. And I will be presenting an award. The open category, which alumni now judge to give the alumni an integrated role within the annual cycle of the student television year. Something I'm quite proud of. My thanks to Capone for joining us in this feature-length Pastacast, of which there are nine previous editions available, with advice on a wide variety of administrative and technical issues relating to student TV. You can find them all at mixcloud.com forward slash Pastacast, and they're also available to download on iTunes. If you have any feedback for us, you can tweet us at NASTA Alumni. Meanwhile, thanks again for listening to the Pastacast.